we're going to look at the other side of the scriptural financial coin. You see, the Bible has so much teaching about money, but uh, all the teaching of the Bible about money can be condensed down into two basic principles. The first is generosity, which we saw last week, uh, and the second we will discover today. But before we discover it, um, I want to share with you uh, a picture, if you'll put this up. This is something that is not timeless. This was a big screen TV from the 90s. This is actually um, a Hitachi 50-inch TV, uh, weighed about 400 pounds. I don't know if anybody ever had to pick one of these up and put it in the back of a truck, Um, but if you did, it probably took about two years off your life. Uh, You are not timeless, Uh, and uh, that, that is not fun. I actually had to be part of that. My dad had a TV like this uh, downstairs in our house in North Carolina for about 10 years. Um, And uh, there was a time where if you had this TV, you were the man. Uh, If you had this TV, you got to stick your chest out a little bit further. um, And you got to have the coolest parties, the coolest Monday night football parties or movie nights or whatever it was. Everybody wanted to come over. In fact, uh, I remember growing up in Seattle. uh, I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. We went to a church uh, and and a family was, was pretty blessed uh, because these TVs back in those days, they cost like $4,000, which is like $10,000 adjusted for inflation. Uh, So we had one family in the church who was blessed enough to have one of these back in the late 80s. Uh, And we would all go over there after church to watch the Seahawks games because it's better to see your team lose bigger than it is smaller. I don't know what that was about. Um, You're supposed to laugh at my Seahawks. Um, Gave you the opportunity. I'm usually bragging about them, but there was a time where we were not very good. Uh, I'm a long-suffering fan. I, I, I understand Cubs fans what that's like. Um, so, so there was a time where this was, a, this was a big deal. Now, today, this actually, I got this online this morning. You can go online, and this TV is for sale right now for 40 bucks. You can take that thing that once cost you the equivalent of $10,000 today, and you can get it for 40 bucks. Why? Because technology isn't timeless. Because technology, from the moment you purchase it, it immediately begins deflating. Now, I guarantee you, uh, you can probably find this TV for free if you look hard enough. There's somebody who's giving this away. If you will just come get it out of my house and I don't have to move it, it's all yours. Why? Because our TVs today that are even smaller have much better picture. They look better. The technology has come so far, and you can get them for a significantly lower price. Uh, why? Because technology is not timeless. So, so we want something. We want to be a part of something. We want to contribute so- to something that is timeless. We want to find something that does last, something that, that is not just trendy, that is not just popular for a moment or for a season. But deep down inside of all of us, we have the desire to be part of something that lasts, to be part of something that's timeless. And that's what we're looking at in this series. Today's timeless trait, I truly believe, has the potential to radically change your life. In fact, some of us, I I believe, this will be the catalyst to some serious life change. In other words, when I say the catalyst, I don't mean you're going to come to church today and hear this message and walk out of here and boom, everything's different. What I mean is you're going to come to church today, you're going to hear this message, God's going to speak to your heart, and it's going to begin a process 
that will change your life. I'm not foolish enough to think that tomorrow you're going to wake up different than you are today. But I do believe that if you'll take the principles that we look at today and begin to put them into practice, who you are five years from now will look a lot different than who you would have been five years from now. Who you are 50 years from now will look massively different than, than who you would have been 50 years from now. And I believe it even has the potential to, to alter not just your life, but the lives of the generations that come behind you. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about financial freedom. Um, I believe that God's desire is for you to be free financially. Uh, the, the book of Proverbs says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, and many of us in this room know what it feels like to be in slavery financially, to be in bondage financially I've been there. It's not a, a good feeling. It's not a good place to be. And, and then the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that it is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. I believe the King James says it's for liberty that, that, that you've been set free and that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So for God's people, we are not designed for bondage. We are designed for freedom. And this applies obviously supernaturally, obviously eternally, uh, and in many other aspects, but I believe it applies financially as well. And so I want to help you to begin to pursue financial freedom today. Uh, you see, financial bondage wreaks havoc and chaos in America in all kinds of ways. Currently, estimations are that Americans owe right around $733 billion in credit card debt. That's $733 billion just in credit cards. That doesn't count car payments. That doesn't car count student loans, uh, which, are, which are rapidly increasing. Uh, it doesn't count other kinds of debt. Just simply for credit cards, we owe $733 billion. Many people not even aware how, what their interest rate is or how much that is eating away at their financial future. But, but ultimately, this message today isn't just about money. Uh, you, you see, because... When you're in bondage financially, it doesn't just affect what you do with your money. It affects your mood. It affects your emotions. It affects how you feel and the way you live. So it's the reason why I believe Dave Ramsey, who is kind of America's financial guru, he named his ministry Financial Peace, right? Why? Because it's not really about the finances as much as it's about the peace. It's about giving God's people the peace that Jesus already paid for us to have but discovering how we can walk in that peace and live in that peace. Um, and, and I think that is so valuable for us to have. So, so today, perhaps, you think it's kind of weird uh, that, that we'd be talking about money two weeks in a row at church, but, but I believe that it's very applicable at church. In fact, Jesus spoke about money quite a bit, and, and we're going to see a couple of the things that he had to say. In fact, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. Uh, as you're turning, uh, let, let me say this, as you begin to experience financial freedom. It's not just going to help your life today, but it can truly help your kids, your grandkids, and, and, and those who are going to come behind you. Why? Because financial freedom is timeless. It, it, it impacts more than just the 73 years or however long that you have on earth. That impact will stretch beyond our lives. There's so much understandable skepticism that comes when, when it when a pastor or preacher begins talking about money. Um, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1980, um, and it was in the late 80s was the era of the church scandal. 
the late 80s, every time you turned on the TV, there was some high-profile televangelist who was on TV who blew it. Um, and I am a child of, of Christian parents who love televangelists. And so every one of those guys in the 80s that you can think of who, who blew it, they blew it with my parents' money. Um, like, my, they, they were blowing it with Southern money. Not tons of Southern money, but, but as much as they could give, my parents were invested so so I saw from a very early age what happens when, when people abuse God's money. So I get the skepticism. I understand the skepticism. Trust me, there, there are people, and I'm not going to say any names, but there's people out there asking for money right now, and I'm a skeptic. Man, there, there's people who are doing things with, with money in God's name that I don't feel comfortable with, that I don't feel peace about. So if you're skeptical today, can I just say I'm right there with you? Like we're, we're, not, we're not against each other. We're on the same team. But, but let me speak just a little bit to your skepticism today. Because I've even heard people in this church say this. Man, I, I grew up and, and my parents taught me, man, the church only wants my money. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody say something like that. Maybe you've said that yourself or maybe you've just felt that way. First time you go to a church and, and, and they're talking about money. If you're a guest today, you're probably like, oh, this is another one of those. But l- l- let me say this. There are churches that just want your money. There are ministries that just want your money. That, unfortunately, that is true. There are some, some horrible people who've done some horrible things out there who have ruined it for the rest of us. Um, but let me also say this. We don't ever say Visa just wants my money. We don't ever say Walmart just wants my money. We don't ever say that about any other organization when we know they only want our money. The, the only one that we associate that to is the one organization out there that doesn't just want something from us. It's the one that wants something for us. I, and I believe that's the work of the enemy. I believe Satan wants to, to taint our feelings towards the church because he knows the blessing that the church can be for us. So, so would you just for today, just for 40 minutes today, could we just hit the reset button? Can we just pretend that, that we haven't seen this abuse and we haven't been hurt by this and we haven't been taken advantage of and just listen to what the word of God has to say for 40 minutes. And if at the end of this you're not convinced that we want something for you and not something from you, you can walk out of here and find somewhere else to go to church. I'm okay with that, but, but I need you to hear my heart on this. If you know me personally, hopefully you recognize this, this is not something we're talking about because I want a better vehicle or, or a nicer house or a bigger paycheck. This is something we're talking about because I want to see God's people free. I want God's people to be free. I want God's people to be blessed. And most importantly, I want God's people to be in a position where they can be a blessing. I want God's people to bless this city. I want God's people to bless future generations. And if we don't have financial freedom, there is a very, very large part of that that we'll never be able to do that we'll never be able to walk in if God's people aren't blessed. Uh, so, so here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to write down as we kick things off today. I've already kind of referred to it, but, but go ahead and put it on the screen. City Church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. We want freedom for you. We want blessing for you. We want God to, to be able to, to bring those things into your life. So to go, the goal for today's message, like I said, is, is to start a process for you to take a step towards financial freedom. I am in no way foolish enough to think that you will come to church today and hear this message and tomorrow you'll walk in financial freedom. It's going to take some time. Uh, I'm not thinking that we're going to do a a raise your hand if you need help in this area at the end of service and we're going to pray and boom, God zapped you and now you're free financially. There's some steps we're going to have to walk out. What I want to do today is start those steps, is to start that 
process today. So first of all, let's look at Luke chapter 16. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Forget what Pastor Troy has to say. What's Jesus have to say about money? Well, he said a lot like we've already referred to. Here's one section where where he said a few things. We're going to read just four verses this morning. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. What does that mean? It means today if, if you're rich or you're poor or you think you're rich or you think you're poor or wherever you would put yourself on the financial spectrum, the message is for you. Because he says, if I can trust you with a little, one day I can trust you with a lot. So even if you say, hey, I only got a little today, the message is for you. Jesus' instruction is for you. He also says this. He says, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If I'm not honest with what I have and how I operate, I remember working, growing up, I worked at Taco Bell. You guys have heard that many times. Um, and I remember there was an employee who stole like 20 bucks out of the register at Taco Bell, right? Like 20 bucks, not a big deal. We can kind of brush it off. We can kind of shake it off. Um, but that's how somebody starts. And I've also seen, in fact, a, a good buddy of mine married a woman, had no idea she was doing this. She ended up stealing $33,000 from her company. How did she get to the point where she stole $33,000? She took 20 bucks from Taco Bell, right? Like, like you, you get dishonest in a lot by starting with dishonest in a little. Uh, it, it doesn't start big. It starts small, and we end up at that place. So we agree with that. Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, when he says who will trust you with true riches, he's not talking about money. He's saying who's going to trust you with the stuff that's bigger than money, with the stuff that's greater than money, with the stuff that is timeless. If I can't trust you with money, which isn't even that big of a deal, how can I trust you with eternity? <laughs> Verse 12, he says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. They compete from our heart. Now, now sometimes we misapply this and we think that money is evil, right? You may, you may have heard, well, First, first Timothy says the, that uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, and or that, that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money. Uh, so, so money is not necessarily bad. Money can be really good. We're grateful for money. All of us need money, right? Like in, in our world, it's, it's a good thing. But if it has my heart, it's a bad thing. I can't serve God and serve money. I can only have one master. So we have to choose. God's going to be the master of my life, not the finances, not the bank, not anything else. God's going to be in charge. So, so what's Jesus ultimately talking about? He's talking about stewardship. I told you earlier, we're going to talk about the, the other side of the financial coin. See, the generosity side is important. The Bible has a lot to say about generosity, has a lot to say about giving, but there, there's also the stewardship side. And the Bible has a lot to say about stewardship as well. And if, if we summed up everything the Bible says about money, we can sum it up in those two words. Be generous, be a steward. Be generous, be a steward. So last week we worked at, looked at generosity. Today we're looking at stewardship. That we're not just looking at giving and tithes and offerings, but we're looking at how we handle things. And 
Stewardship is kind of a funny word. I remember growing up, I always thought it was funny when my parents used that word. And it's one of those words that we don't really use outside of church, right? And so anytime that we use like a church ease word, I want to make sure we define it because maybe you didn't grow up in church or maybe you did grow up in church and people just used words but never really told you what they meant. So here's what stewardship means. In fact, here's the, de the definition from dictionary.com of a steward. A steward is a person who acts as the surrogate of another or others, especially by managing property, financial affairs, and estate, etc. So it's somebody who's in charge of somebody else's stuff, to, to sum it up simply. Uh, to, to illustrate this, um, using a lot of illustrations about my parents today, so just welcome into my world, my, my family. So my, my mom and dad, my dad's in his early 70s, my mom's in her late 60s, and they've reached that point in life where anytime you see them, anytime you talk to them, they start talking about death. Uh, and when this first started about 10, 15 years ago, I was not okay with this. Like, if I saw dad and he had to talk about one day I'm going to die and here's the will and here's what's going to happen, it's like, stop, shut up. I don't want to hear about you dying. Like, this is not okay. Uh, unfortunately, I've heard enough about it. I've kind of gotten okay with it. Like, I just know if I go see mom and dad, somebody's going to talk about their death. Uh, so you just kind of got to be prayed up and ready for it and just accept it. And we go in there and we're going to hear about it. So, so this past time we were home. Dad brought it up, of course, um, and one of the things he talked about is right now I'm, I'm the executor of their will, uh, and he actually asked me for the first time ever. They've told me many times you're the executor. He actually asked me, said, are you okay with that, which that was cool that they asked me, uh, but, but what does that mean? So basically what happens is if, if my parents were in an accident, um, if, if God forbid they both were to die at the same time um, and, and we're no longer here, their will says that now I'm in charge of their estate. Uh, that doesn't mean that all their stuff is now mine. All it means is I now have the responsibility to make sure that their wishes are taken care of. I haven't seen the will. I don't know what it says, but I assume there's some specific things that they want John, my oldest brother, to have. He's the firstborn. There's probably some specific things they want Tracy, the only daughter, to have. There's probably some specific things they want Nick, who's the baby, to have. Like There's going to be some specific things going to specific places, and it's going to be my job to steward those things to make sure that the stuff that is not mine gets to the places it's supposed to go. They, they may, I, again, I haven't seen the will, but maybe they're going to have some organizations that they want to support. I know they support a lot of different things and causes, so they may want some money to, to go to, to these kids over here or, or to this situation over here. They spent 90 days touring with the African Children's Choir, which is, funded, uh, which is used to fund orphanages in Africa for kids who've lost their families to AIDS and to war. My guess is there's probably some stuff in their will about the African Children's Choir. And some, some declarations that it's going to be my job to make sure that this amount of money ends up over here. That this stuff is taken care of over here. Why? Because I'll be the steward of their estate. It will not be mine, but it will be my responsibility. And when it comes to the stuff that we have on earth, that's the mentality we all need to have. It is not mine, but it is my responsibility. And let me illustrate that for you from Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. It's a very famous statement that, that I think all of us have to, have to embrace and have to wrestle with if we're going to walk in financial freedom. It says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then it even goes so far as to say this. The world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. So not only is my stuff his, but I'm his. Right, And that's why my stuff is his, ultimately, because I'm not my own. So he, if he has me, then he has my stuff. Uh, my, my son Judah is two years old. 
And one of the things he, he just turned to a couple weeks ago, and right around his second birthday, he learned a new word that he uses all the time, and that word is mine. Mine. And usually when he uses mine, it ain't his. Right? Usually when he uses mine, he's got the remote control, and you're trying to take it from him. No, mine. Uh, or, or he's got something out of mom's purse that he ain't supposed to have. Or he's got daddy's phone. Or he's got something that's not his. He says, no, mine. And I'm like, no, that's not yours, Judah. That is mommy's. That is daddy's. Whatever. But the funny thing is, even when it is his, it still ain't his. Why? Because he's mine. So his bed, it ain't his bed. That's my bed. Right? Like his stuff ain't his stuff. It's my stuff. So even though, even if he could say it's me, that's mine, it ain't his. Right? And if you're a parent, you get that. And if you're not a parent, you hate that because your parents say that. And you're mad at me right now. Uh, but it's not his. And that's the picture of what we have with God. He's the father. And so what I have is not mine. It's daddy's. And that sounds like bad news. But hopefully by the end of the message, you're going to realize that's really, really good news. That's awesome news. It's great news. You see, Judah's a whole lot better off because that stuff is daddy's than he would be if he was out there taking care of himself, getting his own stuff. He's in so much better position that daddy's the one responsible for him, that daddy's the one taking care of him, that daddy's the one supplying him than he'd ever be if he was responsible for himself. And it's the same for us. This is not bad news in Psalm 24.1. This is not something to push back against. No, God, it's not yours. It's mine. It's like, praise God, it's yours. And you trust me with it anyway. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. See, stewardship starts here. It starts with realizing that I don't own anything. I've just been trusted with things. Stewardship starts with realizing I don't own anything. I've simply been trusted with things. I don't own the house. I don't own the car. I don't own uh, the, the property. I don't own the stuff. He owns the stuff. He's just trusted it to me. Now, now this pushes back so much against who we are as Americans. Uh, as Americans, we value a lot of things. A couple things that we value as Americans. One, one is individualism, independence, right? Like, this is mine. I did this on my own. I can make this happen. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. Americans are really good at valuing individual responsibility, which is good. But we can take it too far, and many times we do take it so far that we think I don't need anybody else. I, don't, I, I can't let anybody else into my world. I'm going to be prideful and arrogant about it, and that's a bad place to be. Our individualism doesn't let us say, you know what, that's not really mine. It's his. The other thing as Americans that we all see is we live in a materialistic culture, a consumer-driven culture, and we've got all these brands and things that, that are so important to us. And I have certain things that I buy this brand over that brand, too. I get it. Um, I can't eat Walmart cheese. Walmart brand cheese is the worst. Uh, my wife is not allowed to bring it into my home. Uh, we we got to have, if, if we're shopping at Walmart, we got to have name brand cheese. Now, for Kroger, Kroger cheese is legit, but Walmart cheese is not. So, so I get it. There's certain things where I'm right there with you. Brands can be important, but, but we've got to remember the stuff. It ain't really mine. It's his. The other thing that we have going against us is human nature. How is it that my son is two years old and he already gets mine? It's not because he's an American. It's because he's human. And there's something in all of us that, that cuts towards selfishness, that cuts towards me and not you. That's for me. It's not yours. It happens at a very, very, very early age. It's human nature. So if I'm going to steward things well, before I, I can get to what I need to do, first of all, I have to just remember whose it is. It's his and not mine. Once I've embraced that it's not mine anyway, it's his that can fundamentally redesign 
how I approach the usage of my stuff. Let me illustrate this for you. Um, again, going back to my mom and dad, uh, we, we live, my parents live in North Carolina, and we just went back there a week and a half ago. Um, and, and so we live on a lot. My parents have a pretty nice house, two stories. Um, and, and then there's a hill right next to our, our yard, and there's another lot below, which is nice and flat and smoothed out. It really looks like you could just put like a tennis court on it or a basketball court, right? Like it, it's pretty awesome. So my wife didn't realize that we actually own the hill and the field as well, that, that my family owns all that, that that was part of the purchase when we bought the house. And I got my phone on, so it's a good reminder to turn your phone off. Uh, so uh, my bad. So this, this week we're home, and, and we were talking about it, and I was like, that's not yours. I was like, yeah, that's always been ours. How did you not know that? She's been there five times and didn't realize that, that we owned it. Why? Because we never use it. It's this useless lot next to us that we thought was awesome when we bought the house, and we've done, like, literally nothing with. We've used it for parking for a couple of parties, and that's it. Um, but, but it has been used in, in one great way. Every once in a while, about once a year, it snows. And when it snows, we have the best sledding hill in North Carolina. Like, this is perfect. It's, it's steep enough. It's long enough. You can build up some speed. And then it's got the nice flat part underneath it so you don't die uh, once you get to the bottom. Like, it, it's awesome. And so we love that sledding hill. And, and a few years ago, after I had kind of gone to college and my brother had moved out, um, I, I was talking to mom and dad, and it just snowed. And I was like, that's awesome. That's cool. And they're like, yeah. Some of the neighbor kids came over, and they were sledding down our hill. And I'm like, great, man, the, the hill's getting used. Praise Jesus. The, the empty field is, is using a purpose. And then they were like, yeah, but mom's like, yeah, but I, I told him to stop. I'm like, what did you, you do that for? And she said, well, there's just so much liability. Man, one of those kids falls and breaks their arm, and then we got to pay or something happens. So, so we just we ran them off. We told them not to use our hill. And I get it, right? Like, I understand there's liability, and I understand there's things that, you know, that, that mom and dad could lose big time if somebody got hurt. And, and I understand, but, but I think, and I don't mean to just, like, put my mom on blast here. Mom, I love you. If you're listening to the podcast, don't hate me. But, but I'm just going to use this illustration because I think it's so perfect. It's a mentality of that's ours, not it's his. See, because if that hill is God's, then praise God these kids can use it. Praise God they can get some use out of it because we don't do anything with it. You know what? Not only can we get some use out of it, we, let, let me go upstairs. I'm going to put some hot chocolate on and let these kids slow down, and I'm going to invite them in afterwards, and I'm going to ask them if they know Jesus. Or I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to build a relationship. We don't even know our neighbor kids. I'm going to take this opportunity and, and use this open door that God has given us, and we're going to make an impact in these kids' lives. But no, what do we say? We say, nope, you can't use it because we don't want something to happen. Now, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with making some rules and saying, you know what, before you use it, come knock on the door and make sure it's okay today. Uh, and let us know how long you're going to be here. And before you leave, let us know you're leaving. And maybe if you're real scared, like get their parents to sign a waiver or something. But, but just to flat out say no, what does that say? It says the hill's mine, not the hill's God's. And when we really get Psalm 24.1, when we really understand that anytime God blesses us, it's to be a blessing. It's going to change the way we approach what we do with our stuff. It has to because it's not our stuff to begin with. So, so what do we do? How do we approach stewardship? There's, there's four things that I, I want you to get today very, very quickly. Write these down if you're taking notes. Uh, well, number one, we've already hit on. Number one, we've got to realize it's all his. As it comes to stewardship, it's not mine. It's his. All of it. My stuff, my money, my bank account, my future, it's his. Me, it's his. This doesn't just apply to finances. This applies to time. This applies to giftings. It applies in so many ways. It's his. It's not mine. 
Second thing, and this is what we don't do. And this is what I think can really revolutionize your life. Number two, give it back to them. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you get something significant, I don't mean every time you get like a Snickers bar or, or whatever, like you don't have to do this. But, but man, when, when you get a house, when you get a vehicle, when you get something significant, a $4,000 TV, uh, thank God for it. God, thank you for this blessing. But it's not mine, it's yours. And as I bring this into my home, as we move into this new home, as we take this step, God, I recognize I do not own this. I break my ownership off of this. Father God, I know that I've been trusted with it, and I thank you for trusting me, but it's not mine. If God's people would get in that habit every time God gives us something significant, do you know how different we would approach our stuff? Do you know how much more generous God's people would be? Do you know how much more blessing we could be to the people around us? If we would just stop, and I'm talking about 30 seconds, man, as a family, you know what? Before we, before we actually open this door and move into this house, we're going to pray over this, and we're thanking God that he gave it to us. Before we drive this car home from this car lot, we're going to stop, and we're going to thank God for giving it to us, and then we're going to give it back to him. We're going to recognize it is not mine. It is yours. Now, why is this timeless? Because now you start modeling it for your kids. Now, when your kids get their first car, it's not just their first car. It's God's car. And maybe they don't go out and crash it so quickly. Maybe they don't go out and get 37 tickets in it as quickly when they realize I'm not just driving my car and not just driving daddy's car, but I'm driving God's car. Right? Like, it makes a huge difference in the way that we model this to the next generation. So, number one, we realize it's all his. Number two, we give it back to him. Number three, and this is, this is really where, where I think the difference will come, ask him how you can be a blessing with it. Ask him to help you to be a blessing with it. God, as we now take this home, God, I don't know what we're supposed to do with this thing. I don't know how we can bless anybody else. I'm just trying to keep a roof over my kids' heads. I'm just trying to, to, to let my wife be warm. God, but, but I know there's a way that I, we can bless even beyond our house, beyond our family. Show us how we can be a blessing. Maybe that means you host a group sometime. Maybe it means you just have somebody over for dinner. Maybe that means you let some kids sled on your hill. I don't know. But, but it means that you're saying, God, I recognize I've got this vehicle to be a blessing. And so maybe that means you're, you're picking up a kid whose parents don't go to church. And, and you're leaving a little bit early, and it means you got to leave for church 15 minutes earlier. And, man, praise God there's a second service because we can barely make it a second service on time anyway. But we're going to get out, and we're going to go pick these kids up. Why? Be, because the, maybe they don't have transportation. But God's blessed me with it. Maybe they don't have kid, family who goes to church. But, but that's who we are, so we're going to use our vehicle to bless somebody else. And, but we're going to ask God for help. Why? Because James 1.5 says that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should come to get God and ask, and he gives generously. So when we ask him, we are expecting him to answer. We're expecting him to show us some things. Here's the problem. Most of the time when God shows us that thing, it will not be convenient. Let's so go ahead and tell you up front. Right? Like it will not be easy. It's gonna be, it's gonna mess up your schedule. It's gonna mess up what you enjoy in some kind of way. And that's the point where you've got the responsibility to steward your time, to steward that thing and say, okay, God, it's not mine. And because it's not mine, I'm, I'm gonna leave early. Because it's not mine, I'm gonna pick these people up who maybe don't smell as good as I like my car to smell. Right, Because it's not mine, I'm going to do this thing that's uncomfortable because you've chosen to bless me with it. And I, when I, when I look in Jesus in the eye, I want to look at him and be able to say, God, I stewarded this house well. 
I stewarded this vehicle well. I stewarded this financial blessing well. I stewarded this raise well. I stewarded this job well. This thing that you gave me, this blessing that showed up in my life, I want to know that I can look you in the eye and say I stewarded it well. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything I've got isn't mine. It's his. He simply trusted me with it. So we realize it's all his. We give it back to him. We ask him to help us to use his blessings well. And then number four, we go out and act on it. We act as if it's his, not ours. Act as if it's his, not yours. So, so I begin to hear those things. Now I've asked him. I believe God's answering. He's going to speak to me. And now I'm going to act on those things that he's spoken. And, and a lot of times, him speaking isn't going to be like, Harps playing and angels singing. Him speaking is going to be just an idea that pops in your head. Oh, man, we should have so-and-so over for dinner. No, no, no. We got so much going on, and that means I got to clean up the house. And, man, it's going to be, you know, like there's all this stuff that comes with it, and we immediately push back in the flesh, right? No. We were given this house. We've been blessed with it. We're going to bless somebody else with it. Maybe that means you let somebody live in an extra room. I'm not saying that's always the case. Right? Like, I get it. But, but sometimes it does. And I, I, I trashed my mom and dad for how they stewarded the, the hill. My parents have let many, many, many people live in their home for free. And I ain't just talking about their kids. Uh, like, many times they have opened up and said, you know what, we got this, this empty room. And here's this person who, who's been on, in some bad times. Um, here, here's these people whose house burned down. Here's this family who's moved in from out of town. We're, we're going to give them this room for this length of time. Um, I'm proud of my parents for the way they've stewarded that. I'm grateful that I had that example from an early age. I don't mean that's what you have to do. Maybe you're, man, you're not wired that way, and that would just drive you insane. There's a way that you're supposed to use what you got. doesn't have to be what my parents did, but, but ask him and act on it. Put it into practice. So, so that's how we're going to steward well. But I want to talk to you about financial freedom. So what if you're here today and you haven't been a good steward? What if you're here today and you're not in financial freedom and, and you can't even think about like letting somebody stay in your house because you can't afford a house. You, you're the person who needs the room right now because you're in bad shape. In, in, in a church this size, I would be foolish to think that everybody here has achieved financial freedom. There, there's many probably that haven't and, and of different demographics age-wise and, and, and coming from different places. So, so what do I say to you today? Here's what I would say as we take the next 20 minutes and, and probably not even that long to wrap up. The first is this. Dave Ramsey has a saying that I think is so appropriate. He, he says, act your wage. Act your wage. Uh, the, the first step to financial freedom is realizing how much income you have and figuring out how to live in that income. And disciplining yourself and committing to it and doing it. Stop spending more than you have. Um, and, and I can say this with boldness and confidence this morning. And if you're young and you don't have anything yet, Praise God, you're in great position. You haven't got student loan debt and credit card debt and any of that stuff yet. Man, just base your life on this right here. Just, just take this message and listen to the podcast and memorize it and put it in your heart. Act your wage from the very beginning. You'll save yourself so much hardship. I didn't. I got a credit card at 18 years old uh, and slowly but surely started racking up credit card debt to the point that when I was 28 and I got married, um, and first service, I said I had $8,000 credit card debt, and then my wife lovingly corrected me after service and said, no, you had $9,500 credit card debt. Who's counting? Thanks, baby. Uh, so, so, yes, uh, I, I brought her into almost $10,000 of credit card debt. I had a maxed out $3,000 card and a maxed out $6,500 card, making minimum payments, just trying to survive. 
Um, welcome to being a Southern, baby. Great choice. Uh, so, so this is what my wife married into. So she came into $9,500 of credit card debt, high, high interest rates. Why? Because I wasn't good at acting my wage. Because I was really good at seeing something I wanted and saying, you know what, all I got to do is pull this out and I can take it home and I'll worry about paying for it later. And unfortunately, later finally came. Later always comes. And later is not fun. It's not fun to admit to the girl that you love that this is what she just married into. It's not fun to, to admit to her that you can't afford it, that, that we've got to adjust the way that we've lived. Like, this is what you thought you were getting, but now this is what you're getting. Um, it, it was very early, probably about less than six months into our marriage, when we had to sit down with a financial advisor and, and really take stock of where we were at and realize that where we were going was going to destroy us. We had to make radical changes, and we had to make them quickly. So don't end up like me. Don't be 28 and deep in debt. Be smarter, young people. Um, but wherever you're at, start acting your wage. Start acting your wage. Now, I was a youth pastor, right? Like, I was, I was the spiritual guy. I'm going to be the spiritual head of this home. So what are we going to do? Man, we got financial problems. We're going to pray, and God's going to bless us, and he's going to fix it. What did I find out? That, that God moved when I prayed, and God got involved when I prayed, but God doesn't do for me what I can do for myself. He's a good father, and he's not going to, to make me cut up the credit card. He's not going to make me say no. Uh, he's not going to make me cut off the cable. He's going to leave those decisions up to me, and I'm going to have to be disciplined enough to do what's right. So, yeah, we started to pray, and God did start to move, but, but a lot of his moving was saying, here's what you need to do, and now we had to go put in some action. Um, and so we're not going to pray at the end of this and fix everything. Um, if you're in a financial mess today, one of my best pieces of advice to you, after you recognize that you got to stop spending more than you make, is get angry. Get mad. It, it took that for me. I had to get mad at myself. I had to get mad at my situation. I had to get mad at what I had done to my wife. I had to get mad. And you probably didn't come to church today thinking your pastor is going to tell you to get mad, right? Like, but, but there's a place for righteous indignation. That's a really old school term, but, but I think it's very appropriate here. Why? Because if you're not free, then something is wrong. Because that's not God's plan for you. You can get mad when something, when something in your life doesn't line up with what God has for you. It should make you mad. It should upset you. You should get mad enough to say, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. God's paid the price for my freedom. Now I'm going to start to access the freedom that he's given me. No one deserves to be your master but God. No one deserves to be in charge but God. And if, if there's other masters in your life financially, today's the day for you to get mad about that and, and to start to pursue the, free, the freedom. Um, it won't all get fixed today. It didn't, you didn't get into it in one day. You got into it over a series of bad decisions. So it's going to take some series of good decisions to get it right. But you can get it right. Um, know this. We want to help. Had a, had a lady come to me after first service and say, I need help. I need advice. Man, I'm drowning. Um, and, and we're going to have a, a meeting with her this week. We've got some people from the church who have discovered financial freedom, and they said, hey, we'd love to meet with people who need this. Um, my, my wife and I, we haven't got it all, but we've come a long, long way in this. We, we want to meet with people and, and begin to help, begin to kickstart the process. So if, if that's you and you're drowning, get some help. Know that the, that the church wants something for you, not something from you. We want to begin to help, give you some advice, speak into your life in this area. Um, know this, it's going to require something of you. What's it going to require? Well, the first thing it's going to require is a plan. So, you, so we're going to start to give you a plan. What's the plan? Three words. 
Here's his. This is Dave Ramsey straight out of his book. I give him the credit. I'm ripping him off 100%. But what's the plan? The plan is this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. How, how are you going to walk in financial freedom? It's not going to happen overnight, but the goal, it might be a year down the road. It might be two years down the road. Here's what you're going to pursue. I want to give 10%. I'm going to honor God first and foremost with my first fruits like we talked about last week. Number two, I'm going to save. So I'm, instead of just honoring God and spending the rest, I'm going to believe that, you know what? There may be a day that comes when I do lose my job. There may be a day that, that comes when I do get hit with a sickness and I can't work. And so I want to be taken care of. I want my family to be taken care of when that day comes. So I'm going to start saving now. So I give 10% or more if that's what God calls you to. I save 10% or more if that's what God calls you to and you have the ability to. Um, and then I live on the rest. So you're living on 80 or maybe you're living on, you know, maybe you're giving 15 and saving 12 and you're living on, I don't know, 73, whatever that is, right? But, but we're, we're giving at least 10, we're saving at least 10, and we're living on the rest. And if you can pursue that, if you can get to that place, you will have financial freedom. You're going to have God's blessing because we, like we discovered last week, the 90% with his blessing goes further than the 100% without. So that's why we're going to give. We're going to honor him first. You're going to have protection for, man, something goes wrong down the road. We've saved up, man. The economy collapses and dad loses his job. We're okay. We don't have to freak out because we've set money aside specifically for this reason. Um, you've given, you've saved, and now you live on the rest. Give, save, live. That's the plan. Some of you are like, there's no freaking way, dude. <laughs> like, that's not even an option. I can't live on 100%. I'm living on 110. I'm living on 140. Like, I'm just going into debt deeper and deeper every week. There's no way I can start to give, start to save. It's not even possible. It's possible. It's going to mean you have to change your lifestyle. It's going to mean you're going to have to change some of the things that you do, uh, but it's possible. When we first sat down with the financial advisor back in 2010, um, we, we were in, in bad shape. And I remember the first thing I brought up was, I need to find another job, and I need to talk to my boss and get a raise. <laughs> right? Like, my thought was I need to have more money coming in. And, and the financial advisor lovingly said this. He said, you can do those things, and those things are good. He said, but you didn't get here because you don't make enough money. You got here because you spend too much money. And he said, the problem is not your income. The problem is, is your outflow. And if we're going to fix the problem, getting you a raise isn't going to fix it because you're just going to go out and spend more money. Getting you another job isn't going to fix it because you're going to go out and spend more money. He didn't say not to get another job or not to get a raise, but he said that will not be the solution. The solution is right here. It's in what you spend. And that's where we got to focus. And so that would be my encouragement for you today. Yes, pursue a better job. Consider bettering yourself and pursuing more education. All those things that you can bring in more money, that's fine. But, but if you're not financially free today, the primary problem isn't the income. The primary problem is the spending. We've got to work on that. So get some help. Get some advice so you can get out of financial bondage. Um, by the way, uh, if, if you're here today and you are in financial freedom, Consider starting to help some others. And I don't mean helping others by writing checks, although, man, if God leads you to do that, do that. But, but make yourself available. Hey, here, here's my story. Here's where we've been. And God's blessed us, and we've got financial freedom. Can we sit down with you and help? Can, can we give you some advice? Can we speak into your life? In fact, if you would be, be so willing, if you would let me know, hey, I'd be willing to sit down with people to help them with this because I have a feeling the lady who came to me this morning is not the only one. There's other people here at City Church who need some help. There's other people who are like Troy and Melody were in 2010 who, who need that advice, who need that encouragement. And I don't want to flood the, the two couples who have volunteered to help out with this. Um, I think there's others who can help out as well. So make yourself available if, if you've discovered.
that financial freedom. Um, maybe you thought you could never, re- maybe you never realized that that could be a ministry. I promise you that it can be. There, there's a lot of people who need that help, um, and you can help them in a great way. So uh, lastly, let me say this. If you'll put that picture back up for us, Tim. Um, this is our 50-inch screen TV. There's nothing wrong with chasing trends. The people who bought that when it first came out, they, they were chasing the trend, right? They wanted the, the newest, the biggest, the baddest. Um, I got to see the Seahawks on it. It was a good thing that somebody did. If they were financially free when they made that decision. Problem is a lot of people who bought that TV for $4,000, they bought it on credit. And they ended up paying $7,000 after interest and late fees and penalties. Or they didn't even get to keep it because somebody had to come back in and repossess it and take it back because they didn't have it. Why? Because a lot of times we, we don't act our wage. We spend more than we earn. Um, Chasing trends is fine when we can afford it. But when we can't afford it, it can be very, very damaging. Um, Here's what I would recommend. Before you make any major financial decision, put it before the Lord. Um, Before you buy that car, before you buy that house, before you buy that $4,000 TV. I don't even know if you can buy a $4,000 TV anymore. Even like the biggest, baddest flat screen is like $1,500, I think. Uh, but before you make that significant purchase, my wife and I, we have a rule. We don't spend more than 100 bucks without talking to each other. Uh, th- that's our rule because that's our budget. Now, some people, you're way more blessed than us, and you could probably do it 1000 Uh Some of you, you're just getting started, just getting married, and probably don't need to spend $10 without talking to each other. Um, but, but for us, it's $100. That's our rule. Um, but even beyond talking to each other, we don't spend big sums of money without talking to God. God, give us wisdom on this. Should, should, is this a purchase we should make? Why? Because every, have you ever done that where you went out and you spent 400 bucks on that thing and the next week it's on sale for $199? Uh, you know why that happened? Because you didn't pray about it. I'm just being real. Like if, if you would have went to God before that, he would have given you a pause. Hold off on that. I've got something better for you. Or either you did pray about it, you just didn't listen to the answer. Um, we, we do that sometimes too, right? And I've done it. Um, but, it, but if we start putting these decisions before God um, and trust him to speak to us and, and trust when he says no, God's not saying no because he wants to deprive us. He's saying no because he's got something better. We make a lot better decisions with our money, and, and it's not ours anyway. It's his. So before we spend a, a big amount of God's money, we should probably check in with the man who, who owns it anyway. God, is this a good decision for us to make? Uh, this applies to all of us, whatever, wherever our income is, whatever tax bracket we're in, all of us. Uh, can do a better job of talking to God before we make those decisions. Financial freedom is huge, and it's timeless. Um, If you won't take these steps for yourself, take them for your family. Uh, If you won't take them for yourself, take them for the kingdom of God. Because as God's people get free, the impact we get to make out there increases dramatically. The impact in our city, as we reach our city by reaching one, it's going to be because God's people have walked in freedom. Remember, City Church doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Let's pray.